to hear. Okay, wonderful. Well, we're going to start. We're, we've had lots of requests um, to record this, and I'm so honored. Uh, Danielle and I have met um, a few times prior, albeit at sad occasion. It was uh, Murray, a Blessed Memories uh, funeral, and I've had many occasions to speak to um, her lovely and beloved husband, David. I have warm regards for you, and he's also on this, I see. Uh, um, your brother-in-law, Howard, said, I should be kind to you because you're a treasure. <laughs> what beautiful words. Thank you, Howie. Yes, yes. So um, I'm going to do a uh, brief introduction of uh, our guests for this evening, and then we're just going to jump right into things because we have lots and lots to talk about, and it's going to be a uh, I know it's just going to be a wonderful and uh, interesting evening. So uh, we are honored to uh, welcome uh, Danielle Cretenden from, who's an executive producer and host of the popular Femme Splainers podcast, which she describes as a weekly girls' night out, COVID-friendly, of course, <laughs> with some of the most fascinating and fabulous women on the planet. That's a, a very, very modest uh, billing you're placing for yourself. <laughs> She is the author of four books, including What Our Mothers Didn't Tell Us, Why Happiness Eludes the Modern Woman. Her other works include a novel, Amanda Bright at Home, the first modern work of fiction to be serialized in the Wall Street Journal. Danielle is also the co-author of a cookbook from a Polish country house kitchen, co-written with the Pulitzer writing historian Anne Applebaum. Um, of particular interest to us, she was the managing editor of blogs for Huffington Post Canada, which was launched in 2011. She also created an e-commerce site, Fig, Fig and Vine, which curated artisanal Judaica and featured Jewish lifestyle content, and it was sold to Judaica.com in 2017. And as she notes in her bio, and I quote, and of course, I'm married to the magnificent David Frum, See you at seven. <laughs> so, Danielle, uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Rabbi. And it's so good to see you again. The same. So, um, I have to, I have to say that this topic that we're going to discuss is, uh, and we're getting lots of feedback. So, I am going to um, make sure everyone, if you could please ensure that you are muted except of course for Danielle. <laughs> we, we don't want her to be muted, but if you're not Danielle or me. You may, uh, you may change your opinion. No, <laughs> um, it, it's th This concept or idea that we're gonna unpack a little bit for the group tonight is such an interesting idea. First of all, as you probably have experienced, it strikes at the core of how Jews see themselves or maybe perhaps how Jews misperceive themselves to some degree. As a rabbi, I can tell you, I've been a congregational rabbi now uh, for almost 28 years. And so much of uh, the work that I do, apart from all the other things, Danielle, that rabbis do, um, is working with converts. And uh, over the course of my time, I've uh, tutored, guided, mentored, studied with, been inspired by numerous converts, or as I like to call them, Jews by choice who have uh, made their way into the synagogue. Our synagogue board is filled with Jews by choice. And um, the, every one of them comes, like so many things in life, so many of them come each with their particular story, which I find so interesting. So uh, I first, um, as things would have it, and fate is always a favorable lady at times, is uh, of course it's Hanukkah. And uh, Jeffrey Goldberg from The Atlantic reposted an article, Danielle, that he had written 
in 2011. And it was a interview that he had with uh, Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. And wow. he, yes, you probably remember. Big fan of the Jews, though. Oh, he loves Mel. that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, he had went to Hollywood because to interview Mel Gibson, he had heard that Mel Gibson was interested in developing a movie project on the life of Judah Maccabee. And Jeff Goldberg was fascinated with a man who had famously spewed uh, the vitriol of, anti, of anti-Semitic uh, diatribe on the, I think on the side of a road in Santa Monica while being pulled over for a DUI. And um, he wondered how could it be that this guy would want to produce something about Judah Maccabee. Anyways, the, uh, the article was, was, was fascinating. Um, but of particular interest was a comment that Mel Gibson made. He said um, that if Judah Maccabee had not succeeded um, there would have been no Jesus, mm-hmm. which on some level um, certainly rings with, with some historical honesty. Christopher Hitchin had inflected the opposite. He bemoaned the victory that Judah Maccabee had because he said that it had paved the way uh, for, uh, for Jesus. But this idea, of course, and it being Hanukkah um, reminds us once again particularly those of us who live in a Western developed country of the particular tangle and the intertwining that Jews and Christians live with all the time. It is usually uh, more of a task played at the feet of the Jew than it is for the Christian. And that's why I find conversations such as the one we're gonna have tonight to be so interesting because um, it turns the table the other way and we can see how people walk into it. And so uh, maybe to open the door for us, Danielle, tell us about you, um, your beginnings, where you grew up, your family life. Um, Well, I grew up in Toronto. Um, I I came from a newspaper family, um, which was um, politically completely opposite from David's um, famous mother, Barbara. my, my late stepfather was Peter Worthington. He founded the Toronto Sun, and yeah. he, was, he was the conservative to Barbara's liberal. And so they didn't get, well, they, it's not that they didn't get along. They were very much in part of the same media circles, but they were very different political backgrounds. So it was kind of funny when David and I met, there was a small Hatfield and McCoy element to it. <laughs> um, but it, it all went fine. And um, I just, uh, just became, absolutely huge admirer, of course, of Barbara, and was lucky to know her for five years before she died. And, and I learned a great deal about Judaism from her, because as you can imagine, like any potential Jewish mother-in-law, she was alarmed at the fact that not only was this conservative coming into the family, and David at that point was um, very conservative, and that was a sort of talking point amongst also amongst Toronto media that here is, you know, wonderful liberal Barbara from how did she um, raise this Alex B. Keating of the, if anyone knows that reference. Um, And, 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 and here was I marrying, marrying him and just egging this whole side of him on. So it was, I, I, I totally get why she was not as thrilled as she might've been, but there was also the fact that I wasn't Jewish. Um, And when you're young and Certainly, growing up as a non-Jew, we, we, I grew up as a believing Anglican um, that uh, 
you think, well, <laughs> maybe especially as an angling, you go, what's the big deal, you know? Um, and of course it's a big deal. And, um, and I, I learned from her, I, I did not convert upon my marriage and mm. I've always been very, very grateful to David that he didn't make it a condition. It, it certainly could have made things a lot easier, I think at the time, mm. um, just to get married, we couldn't have a Jewish wedding. We did find the only Jewish uh, traffic court judge <laughs> or one of the few traffic court judges who was Jewish to marry us yes. um, in his parents' backyard. But he didn't make it a condition because I think he didn't want it to be forced. That if that he was taking me for me, uh, for better or worse, as they say. And, um, and if I was going to come to Judaism, uh, that it should not be, you know, at, with a head with a gun pointed to the head. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, so, but I was very interested in it, um, and I know it was important to him. And I wasn't, um, I wasn't non-religious. Um, I did grow up. I was confirmed in the church. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus Christ. Uh, but I never. I never had a kind of intellectual relationship with my religion. I just kind of took it for granted, as I guess one does when you're born into something. I want to just uh, pause you for a moment. Two items yeah. which are really interesting. Number one, um, personally, I find in my travels that the, the more successful converts are interestingly the ones who come from faith backgrounds. They inherently understand the language of religion. They understand the utility that religion can play in a person's life, as opposed to a convert who may approach me, a potential convert may say, oh, well, we came from a family, they didn't observe anything. Right. And well, if you're also, if you're an atheist, you know, you're just changing labels, really. Yes. Um, yes. But, um, but no, I, but, I, but I felt, uh, but in, 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 interestingly, I felt um, from a Christian perspective, all of my religion was based on faith, but in the Christian version that Jesus was going to rescue you. You know, when you had a problem, you prayed to Jesus. You had a very personal relationship with, with, with your Lord and, and, you know, through the, the figure of Jesus. But there wasn't a lot of what always bothered me, and this was true before I met David, is I never liked the sort of deathbed conversion that, you know, in Catholicism, that you could live a pretty much an unethical life. Mm. You could do a lot of bad stuff. And yet, if you professed faith at the end, you were somehow, you know, going to go at least to purgatory, if not to heaven. Um, and that, I, I, and I guess I was more intellectual than I thought, and that always really bothered me. I mean, I like the easy forgiveness yes. that Jesus was willing to offer me whenever I messed up, um, but I, I, I just theologically it bothered me. And so, even though of course I knew Jews, I'd never dated a Jewish man. And then of course, how did you guys meet? In his mother's backyard. Is that where you met? Yes. And what was the circumstance that you guys met? Well, see how he's on. So uh, my oh. brother-in-law is on this, and Linda is if Linda's on as well. Um, 
David apparently had said to his sister, he had graduated, he was graduating from law school in, in, uh, in Cambridge, he was coming home and he complained to his sister that she never set him up with any of her friends or she'd never come up with, you know, a plausible match. And um, I'd met Linda, I didn't know Linda that well, but I'd met her at a, a party for a magazine that we both mutually contributed to because Linda was also a little bit of an Alex B. Keaton of the time. And we were thus the children were all in the same sort of political circles that were slightly different from the parents. Um, anyway, she invited me to a welcome home David party that his mother and father threw in their backyard wow. in, uh, in, in, you know, off York Mills. And um, for, those, for those who don't know, um, the, the York Mills home was a stunning uh, piece of art itself in the backyard was right. beautiful architecture beautiful yes very um uh falling water kind of idea yes, yes, yes um but i just showed up and i just thought linda i was like really thrilled that linda had invited me and because i thought i really loved linda and isn't this great we're going to be better friends i had no idea that in her mind that this was a, a setup wow and david had come back and he there were other mutual friends from our same media circles and I was hanging out with them and chatting with them and he, this man, this young man kept coming up to me saying, I'm really sorry, I haven't had time to chat with you properly. I'm like, okay, fine, you know, having a good time. I had, I was just oblivious to the whole thing. Right, right. But then he called and we went out for lunch and, you know, and the rest they say is history. But, wow. um, but to go back to the faith part, I, I yeah. so I had not had a, I had not had an intimate knowledge of Judaism until I met David. David, David's parents uh, were more reform, but but serious about their religion, and um, and he in college I think began studying Hebrew, and and sort of got more into it. So um, so through him, I began learning a lot about it, obviously, culturally and theologically. And, um, and then when we got married, we, we couldn't have the Jewish wedding. But he again, he didn't, he never made it uh, a point that, mm. that if, if I were to come to it, fine. But he uh, accepted that it might not happen. And, and at the time, but also more in retrospect, I'm phenomenally grateful to him mm. for that. Uh, because I then began attending Jewish services with him. We moved to New York. Um, we attended these great synagogues. We sort of shopped around as one does. And the we the one that you favored in New York? Well, eventually we ended up at um, uh, one on the, it was founded. It was like one of these breakaway, there was also Jewish politics, but a conservative <laughs> rabbi. And we went to conservative um, some modern Orthodox, but mostly conservative. We found a, an absolutely amazing um, uh, place that was sort of very intellectual and a very loving uh, rabbi, but very spiritual. And I just really began to love that experience of going to services. And they weren't easy. They weren't these, you know, drive-through Anglican, you know, have the wine, you're gone, all's good. Yeah. Like you, we were sitting in our chairs for like yes. three hours sometimes. And no, it's a, it's, these are high barrier moments. People don't right. appreciate. And, 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 and it was intense and it was an, it was as intensely intellectual as it was spiritual. 
Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. I love the fact that you just didn't take things for granted. I love the fact that you questioned and you challenged your faith. And of course, I, I became more aware of the history. And so even then, it wasn't until our first, I was pregnant with my first child, our first child, our daughter, that I realized suddenly that really hits home. Like it's all fine to be two people who live together and love each other, you know, being kind of Jewish in my case. But when you are starting a family, as you know, and about to raise a child, well, what is that child going to be? You know, what is this household going to be? And that's when I was pregnant. That's when I began seriously studying mm. and, um, and then converting. And I ended up converting uh, right after Miranda was born. She's a convert. She got the mikvah treatment when she was three months old. She did not appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and, uh, and then we had a Jewish wedding in our New York apartment with our beloved rabbi. And it was, it, was, it was really wonderful. And I have to say it was in some ways more meaningful wedding than my first one because it was, we had a family and, but the night before David's mother, we had dinner with her in New York. And she was one who, who I remember she kept impressing upon me the importance not the importance of what I was doing, but also the warning of, you know, don't, not don't go into this lightly, but Danielle, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people don't like Jewish, you know, Jewish people. And there are risks that you're taking. And at the time it seemed absolutely absurd to me that, that mm-hmm. this was some act of courage or, you know, yeah. yes. and, uh, and when our, children first went to nursery school, you know, they even then back, this would have been in the early 90s, there were these tire barricades and things around the Washington DC nursery school where we had moved by that point. And I still didn't understand. And just to be clear that that nursery school, the program was in a synagogue. Yes, it was in the when the more the main synagogue. Yes, of of, of DC, the Otis Israel, Otis Israel. Israel. Okay. And, um, so, so I didn't, it, it, it seemed like, yes, of course, there's been this terrible history. And yes, of course, there's anti-Semitism. Of course, there are always threats. But it's really been in the past 10 years and more recently that, that I've really come to appreciate and experience mm. um, a lot of the continuing struggle and threats that Jews have dealt with all time and and have you, have you ever experienced anti-semitism personally no what was funny is i experienced it overhearing someone ah. this is um uh i was i was at a local farmer's market this is maybe five years ago i don't know and i was loading my car and i was right in front of a greek restaurant in downtown dc and there was a i think it was the greek owner of this restaurant sitting out with another person and he he, I heard him say the Jews they're just like rats they're everywhere and the Jews of Europe they just get in and they get and I couldn't believe my ears and I turned to him and I said excuse me but do you realize you never know who's around and can hear what you're saying and I just want you to know that I am Jewish and I take real offense to what you're saying. Wow, what did he say? 
Well, he's like, oh, I, I, I wouldn't mean it that way. And, and then he said to me, you don't look Jewish. And I said, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you have some stereotype of how we're supposed to look? I mean, the anti-Semite, anti-Semite. No, I gave him a hard time. But, um, but, but no, but I mean, that was sort of when you hear it outright. I mean, I haven't personally experienced it in a direct, you know, that was in yeah, yes, yeah. but I think a lot of, um, and given that I write under my maiden name, um, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sort of a ready target on Twitter, but I know David gets it. And I've seen really quite horrible things, especially on Twitter that people will say about him. And he's so able to shrug it off that it never bothers me, but it bothers me, you know, it's there, you see it, it's ugly. Yeah, no, no question. When you, um, your first blush, like when you started dating David and what did you think of Jews before you entered into David's family? Well, I had, um, I mean, Toronto was very, the Jewish, the Jewish world remained very, it overlapped a little bit um, with our, our world and like, Paul Godfrey was the publisher of the yeah. Toronto Sun. And I worked at the Toronto Sun. My, you know, my father was at the, I grew up in the Toronto Sun. So, but it, it, it seemed a very, it always seemed a very separate world to me. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of intermixing for whatever reason. Um, I never felt myself any feeling one way or the other. Um, it was just, it was mostly just mysterious and I don't want to say foreign to me, but it was not a world that I was um, uh, knowledgeable about. Right, just like right. he's Jewish, he's not Jewish, but it, it didn't mean anything to me. Right, right. There was no, and and now looking back all of these years, the uh, the meeting with David, the love, the engagement, the marriage, the wedding, the conversion studies, uh, most people on this line probably don't realize, but you, you in fact gave a nod to it, that unlike uh, the other major confessional faiths, uh, Judaism has a very different approach to um, becoming a Jew by choice, by conversion. It actually dates back, um, there was no formal idea of conversion in Judaism until um, the rebuilding of the second temple when the Jews came back from Babylon and uh, many of the returnees from Babylon um, came with non-Jewish spouses. And they approached Ezra the scribe, who was one of the leaders of the exile community. And they said, well, what do we do? <laughs> and interestingly, Ezra's response to that, it's in the book of Nehemiah, Ezra's response to that was, and Jews have done this ever since, is to teach them what it means to be Jewish. In other words, it wasn't simply um, a litmus test, a metric exam of what you're prepared to believe. Mm -hmm. But on some level, it required an understanding of what that identity would call you to. And so looking back now all of these years, um, are there things that you look back and surprise you about Jews and Judaism and what you are now as opposed to maybe what you were before? I think it's not so much a surprise. To me, it's been a great opening of a community that I, as I said, I was just generally unaware of. And the things that appealed to me, it wasn't just the ethical responsibility you had to take for your own life and mm. actions, which really uh, appealed to me. Um, 
it was as a, as our life would unfold together. It, it was this focus on family, um, and then of course on community. And I had been I've been very close to my priest growing up, the one who you know saw me through my communion, and um, um, but I hadn't. I mean, our church community. It it always felt very transient, even though I grew up in that church and played in that church. That you know, you it was a lot of you see people at Christmas. You turn, you shake the person's hand next to you. You put, which now seems absurd to me, a plate goes around and you put like a twenty dollar bill on it, which is like this seems like a very poor and ineffective way of fundraising. Yeah. Um, and and um, but that sense of the community being there for you. I, we have really experienced it. I experienced it as a convert when we lived in New York before we had children. And then after we had children moved to DC, uh, we've had a great rabbi here who, who is very enthusiastic about converts and always went the extra mile to embrace. And he, he's a real embracing guy. So when we've also seen through, you know, the past few years, the antagonism that some in the ultra-Orthodox community have towards converts. Yes, yes. And that's, he, was, he was like an offsetter of, of that. Good. Um, and, and my first rabbi who converted me, he had made sure that a very respected Orthodox rabbi was part of my conversion. Again, mm -hmm. I was naive to all of this, so that when they... Who was the rabbi? Um, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I knew I was going to blank, but I will tell you in a minute. When you don't ask me, and it will pop back yes, in. I'll ask you something else. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but um, no, but Shmuel Hertzfeld is our yeah. in our current uh, rabbi, um, and um, uh, but he, but our first rabbi had made sure that my papers were signed by a very reputable Orthodox rabbi, and I'm like, why the bureaucracy? Why do we care? You sign it. That's good enough for me. And he's like, no, if you ever want to move to Israel. You're going to want this guy's signature. And I, again, I didn't fully understand what he was saying, but it, of course it now makes complete sense. And, and, and sadly, because I think, you know, people are willing to, yes. to move to Israel, become Jews, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be met by a, a, a committee that says, look who thinks she's Jewish, you know? It's, the irony it's, of it is that the Jews who need as many people as possible, we tend to have the heaviest door that yeah. have to push their way to get in. And yeah. it's, it's interesting. Was, was the rabbi who was the co-signatory, was that um, Shlomo Riskin? I will have zero memory of this. No I'm problem. sorry, I should have looked it up. No, 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 you don't have to. He, he was so fleeting in my life. You know, yeah. he just yeah. came yeah. in, signed the paper and- And walked out. Yeah. I want to, um, I did a little research. Don't get scared. <laughs> I did a little, and I found a wonderful article that you wrote on the Huffington Post about the time of year that we are in. And I'm gonna read your, you know what it is. <laughs> it, it, was, it was so heartwarming and funny and smart. And I, I wanna read it to the people who are here because um, I think they're gonna catch something in this that I did as well. Um, Danielle was talking about um, the Christmas, Christmas experience of someone who becomes Jewish. And in fact, the title of the article, if you're interested, you can uh, look after it in Google. It's called I'm a Christmas Schnurrer, and it rhymes with menorah. So it goes like this. 
Finally, the great morning itself. Months of work are consumed in about eight minutes. A carnage of gift wrapping glitters across the carpet. The children, ungrateful little beasts, immediately declare they're bored. The turkey is like 72 hours away. Dad is crumpled into the corner of the sofa in an improbable sweater. Mom's exhausted, bleary-eyed from staring up until 1 a.m. to wrap the last presents, fill the stockings, ensure the turkey was ready to be placed. She declares the holiday started and reaches for the booze. But as a Jew, ah, as a Jew, all of this is unknown. We've completed our holiday ordeal earlier in the fall, and no one writes cheerful songs about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, whose matches can be summed up as Happy New Year, you should be so lucky. <laughs> I mean, it was just perfect, just perfect. And uh, the, the story, um, well, the article that you go on to write um, juxtaposes your position so beautifully in that you're both an insider and an outsider all at the same time. Well, it also means I get to, because my parents and my mother are still alive, thank God, um, we get to uh, celebrate both. So my, my, you know, my children were big Christmas snorers mm -hmm. too, but, but, um, but actually I thought, I thought you were going to read a different one, which is where we carefully delineated, of course, Christmas from Hanukkah, mm -hmm. you know, through the children's early years and, and Christmas was at grandma's and, and, and we never leaned into the religious content. There was Santa, that was it. There were presents. It was great. Um, and then one year, my son, who was about seven at the time, got very annoyed that we were not making, I mean, I made a big deal about Hanukkah. I did that North American Jewish thing. It's like, hey, eight nights, present every night, like right, right, right. really trying to sell, sell, sell this alternative, uh, but clearly in their eyes, inferior holiday. And um, he said, mom, why can't we have lights? And I said, well, dear, it's, that's a Christian thing. You put lights on mom, it's called a festival of light. Let's have lights. And so I went to our modern Orthodox rabbi, Rabbi Hertzfeld, and I said, my son's saying, he's got a point here. Like, uh, lights aren't holy. Why can't we have blue and white lights outside our house? And he goes, Danielle, there's no reason you can't do that. And then I started looking into it. And I said, well, look, cedar, juniper, these are all trees of the Holy Land. Why can't I? I, I spent one day when you're making a star of David out of cedar and fir boughs. And then I, I put blue lights around it. And then I hung like little, I found little ornaments that had like a dill pickle and a bagel and a cup of coffee. And, <laughs> and, and I put that out and I said, Rabbi, is that bad? He goes, it's wonderful. And then my rabbi now, has the most garishly lit house no in all of his neighborhood. And he gets the giant dreidel, the inflatable dreidel out and the manure and he puts lights everywhere. And I, I feel like, I feel probably like, what's wrong with us embracing this? We're North Americans. Mm -hmm. um, it's part of, there, there is nothing so religious. And I think maybe that's what you're talking about. The zeal of the convert yes. is to say, Look, we don't have to be miserable. We don't have to sit in the dark. We can, we can make this. We can participate in the in the culture of the country that we live in, um, and apply it to our own. Yes. Um, and now every year, we do that. I have a. I I ended up making a permanent star of David out of birch logs, 
that I wrap in blue lights and I plop it on our front, you know, porch so people can see it. And I get a lot of positive feedback, like Jews driving up the street, stop their car, pull over and go, <laughs> that is a star of David. So it's, 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 I think it's a wonderful tradition and it, it makes you feel both less left out, but it's yeah. also, you're also embracing yes, yes, your yes. own, your own traditions. So the, uh, one of the gifts that Jews by choice converts bring is it's an echo of Tennyson's words of seeing things with new eyes and that, um, the ability to see things, not through the prism of, you know, uh, decades, centuries of uh, European experience transplanted to America, uh, but something fresh and new, which interestingly, I think is something that Israel has brought to the Jewish experience. Mm -hmm. um, very different eyes um, in terms of Judaism and the Jewish world and how we perceive ourselves. I, I pointed out a few weeks ago, um, when you look at the Passover Haggadahs from the 19th century, the 18th century, when it talks about the four children and it comes to the evil one, many, many times, particularly in Europe, the evil child was the image of a soldier. And today, because of Israel, we would never do that. Right. Well, Israel too, I spent a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time there, especially when I did this website that you mentioned, and my daughter, my eldest daughter, Miranda, the con the, also the convert, yes. uh, less by choice at the time, Indeed, <laughs> spent uh, three years living there. Oh, did she? she Where did she live? Uh, she speaks Hebrew, sorry. And uh, she loved it. She went there not out of any Zionist thing. She just thought it was cool. Yes. She was like, and she went there and she loved it so much. And she loved it for everything that was not about in some ways, Zionism. She loved that it was so forward thinking, that it was the Israelis and their spirit and their the Tel Aviv life and the, you know, the incredible creative things they were doing. Yeah. And I think that's what, that what I worry that we get locked in in North America is this very old Eastern European way of doing things. We don't have as much as the Sephardic in our, you know, immigration pool. And so I think um, learning from that, and, and Israel is, Israelis are unabashedly enthusiastic and assertive. So where they go, we, David and I went to Hungary a few, like three years ago. And I've now make it a habit to go see the Jewish neighborhoods or go on a Jewish tour if, if one exists. Because I find so much of the history of a country, aside from just being interested, yeah. you, can, you learn so much more when you go on a Jewish tour because you see not just a series of dates and leaders yeah, you yeah. really see a, a a cultural background to it and we went um and in even in budapest under this not very nice government that they have now and where a lot of things are being oppressed and and certainly you know there's a lot of anti-semitism there were these Israeli outposts in the Jewish neighborhoods and they were retaking, they were opening these startup restaurants with, you know, wonderful Israeli food and, and, and bringing colors and, and, and sort of Israeli social traditions like fun outdoor parties and things like that. And, and that to me, that is the life, that is how the religion grows with its modernization and its, and its mm -hmm. boldness. And it's not, you know, and, and 
not being this kind of shtetl, oh, we can't do that because, you know, that would be too Christian or the last, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. That yeah. so I've, I've been very influenced by the Israeli uh, view of, of Judaism. And, and that's, a, that's a really, really healthy thing. My, my grandmother, um, who um, along with my father, he was a year old and my grandfather, they, uh, they left Germany in 36, just out just in time. And they landed of course in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> and uh, my grandmother for years, I lived in Israel for eight years myself. Uh, I went to university, I was in the army, I was ordained in Israel. And my grandmother always said to me, she used to say, Aaron, you're not a Jew, you're an Israeli. Hmm. And because she always walked around, um, and, and understandably so, she walked around with a fear about not trusting the world, that somehow her condition uh, would be subject to the winds of the world. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think that Israel has contributed to um, a healthier mental well-being for Jews um, is a sense that we're not victims we can be assertive and also that we're different it's like i think i lost count but i think in israel there's something like more than 200 nationalities of jews who have congregated yes congregated. There's, there's like nigerian jews and you know iraqi jews and french jews and then they put all their cuisine together in these crazy fusions that are amazing but but the that sense that we're a, you're a Jew, I'm a Jew, we look completely different, but we, we share something. Yeah. And that is strength. To me, that is strength. You Have know? you experienced, um, my wife and I two years ago were on the Spanish steps in Rome. Mm -hmm. And when I travel generally, I always make a point to wear my kippah when I travel around, unless it's like really dangerous, right? So, so like the Paris subway or something. Exactly, but otherwise I'll put a baseball cap on. But then she says to me, you know, Aaron, the only people who wear baseball caps over 30 years old are adult Jewish men who don't want to be seen wearing their kippah. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. My wife is on this call. So, lovey, yes, sweetheart, <laughs> I, I gave you credit for that. There you are, very subtly in your American sneakers, your North American sneakers, oh, your, 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 your beard, baseball. and the baseball cap. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so, anyway, there's this North American couple, obviously in New York, because I know that accent. And they have this map they're opening up. And he looks over, I can see he's looking at me. And he goes, do you know where the central synagogue of Rome is? And I said, oh, I've just been bageled out. So I go over <laughs> and I tell him where it is because we had just been there. Um, in my conversations with uh, David, um, he's, he's so open and honest um, about the wonderful, wonderful marriage that the two of you enjoy. And I, I wanna open our conversation to just a few questions from the public, but I have two last questions to ask you. One, do you think your marriage, your marriage, plural, would have been as good as it is had you not chosen to become Jewish? You mean if, if we'd gotten married, Yes. The same people, but I did not convert. Yes. Um, well, no, but I have to think why that is. Because I think marriage succeeds regardless of religion, that you are both on the same page together, whatever that page is. 
And that's why I think it became important when we had children mm. that you don't want to be in a continuous argument over the years of do yeah. we do this or do we do that? Now, if I had been a passionate Catholic, for example, that, that would be a big problem. And that would have been something that we would have had to work out. And, I'm, and you know, I think our affection for each other is such that we, we probably could have come to an accommodation. But, but I also think that um, I think we're just both all in, you know, whatever it is. And, and if we're not both all in on something, then we don't do it or we question it. But, but I think it, it, it's more a symbol of being, and, and I think also one of the reasons I was attracted to him was because of his, his faith, mm. his faith in his faith, as it were. His, yes. um, I mean, if I'm falling in love with David, I'm falling in love with his, his identity and what made that identity. And Judaism was a much stronger part of his identity than my religion was of my identity. Yes. So, so it was, it, it's not that I, I, it was an easy thing for me to give up in the sense I didn't think I was giving up anything. I was actually enhancing my own belief and my own religion. That makes what sense. kind of advice would you give to couples who are married and dating somebody perhaps seriously who's not of their faith, a Jew who's dating someone who's not Jewish? What kind of advice would you give to people? Oh man, I'm not you, Rabbi. This is your department. <laughs> this is your department. I mean, look, it's it's happening. It's happening in our family. Uh, my eldest son is dating a lovely girl, and she is Catholic. And um, I think if I were younger and this were happening, um, I may have taken a stronger, you know, more. What are you doing? You can't do. I could. I could have done that. I think maybe just because I'm older and I feel if the person is right and you take this attitude of being all in, then you're going to work it out somehow. I know that's a weak answer and I don't, I know it's not one that Jews strong, those of strong faith like to hear, but I also feel there's only so much you can do, but but it is a conversation you have to have. And I appreciated the conversation that Barbara had with me yes. the night before my conversion. I mean, even though we were married, obviously, but that sense of, I just remember her saying, this is important. This is yes. serious. Yes, yes. And, and, and that's, as a parent, I think you have that obligation to say to your children, look, this is important. This is serious. And I know my children have been raised with very strong Jewish identities. Um, maybe the real test of being Jewish is do you have Jewish grandparents? That's what, grandchildren, that's what David says. Um, but I know um, it's, a it's a difficult thing, but I, I also have learned it's not something the parents can have a huge influence over. I agree, by the way. I you think, uh, you know, there always are children, but they're not children. Right. right. So uh, there's uh, there's a point in that where they have to make decisions on their own and make whatever good things right. or mistakes that they right. make. Um, it would certainly not help. I know this. If I were to go and say to his, you know, potential fiance, well, we love you. You're great. But, you know, could you could you go convert, please? Like, I know that's not going to work. And that's and that's not a productive way to approach it. You just in the end, you have to hope that the values and everything that you hope you've conveyed to them will 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 stick. 
or have influence. And I also, I mean, to that point, I also think that there is, there's actually far more that our children get from what they see than from what they hear. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the decisions that you have made and David had made and placing the things that you do front and center, what's important and what you've made important in your life. Um, one has to believe that it, it resounds, you know, within the children at some point. So well, as David actually said that point very strongly when he said children are deaf, but they see everything. Oh, yes, yes. No, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a lot of time, but I, I wanted to open this up. And uh, for those people who would like to uh, ask Daniela a question, um, the rules are as follows. First of all, it has to be a question. And <laughs> this is a Jewish program, so who knows? Um, and there is a uh, function that's available on the Zoom where you can virtually raise your hand. So I'm going to ask you if you could uh, do that if you want. Otherwise, um, Danielle and I will very happily continue talking. So would anyone like to ask a question? Um, going through here, lots of pages of people. I don't see... I would like to ask a question. Oh, yes, please. Yes. How did your family feel about you uh, marrying a Jewish person? My mother was, okay, I'll just, I'll just be honest. She said, Jewish men make great husbands. I'd be more upset if he were Catholic. <laughs> That's what my, <laughs> my Anglican mother said. Now, my, my, my parents really love David and... Um, and again, I think being Anglican is, is less, it's not a very orthodox religion. So mm -hmm. they were just happy I was something, you know, um, but also David helped because they really loved him. There's a lot to love. Uh, anyone else? Okay, everyone's uh, shy, no question here, but oh, lots of compliments are coming in in the chat. Thank you so much, everyone. I wanted to, um, um, in lieu of people uh, asking questions, I wanted to, uh, to, to share a story. And it's, um, it's such a, uh, it's such a few beautiful story. It, it reaches all the way back to the, the founding of the state of Israel and David Ben-Gurion. And at the, um, at the onset, close to the war of independence, there was lots of skirmishes taking place between, well, the pre-Israelis and the uh, Arabs. And his son, Amos, had gotten wounded and he was in hospital and he fell in love with his nurse who was uh, a Scottish woman named Mary. And they fell madly in love with each other and they were gonna get married. And uh, Ben-Gurion realized that it would be a calamity um, if the first prime minister of Israel, if his son ended up marrying someone who wasn't Jewish. So apart from what probably he was also thinking of all the political considerations. <laughs> so he contacts this uh, rabbi, also well-known rabbi from New Jersey. His name was uh, Joachim Prinz, who also is featured in Philip Roth's book, The Plot Against America. And um, they get this telegram to Prinz asking him if he would show up at Kennedy Airport on a Friday morning and fly to London for the weekend at the bequest of David McGurian. Well, if a rabbi gets that request, you get on the plane. So he makes his way to London. And uh, there the, uh, these operatives, agents pick him up, bring him to a hotel. He walks into the room 
and this young woman, Mary, is there, and he's told that they're going to get married, and they, she needs to convert, and he has the weekend. So he says, okay. <laughs> he goes, he takes out his notepad, and they start studying Judaism, Friday, Shabbat day, Sunday, Monday morning, she goes to the mikvah, he gets on the plane, goes back to New Jersey, she goes to Israel. And uh, many years later, um, Rabbi Prinz wrote in his autobiography, he said that David Ben-Gurion had told him decades later that the only real Jew in the entire Ben-Gurion family was Mary. He goes, the bunch of us are Israelis, but she's a real Jew. And Prinz later on wrote that of all the conversions he did, the one that spent a weekend in London <laughs> was the most successful one he did in his life. That's so funny. Well, there is, there is a, as a friend of ours who grew up as a reformed Jew, um, married uh, a woman who converted and he had had, he had had like grown up in a household where they had Christmas trees and like Christmas trees, not Hanukkah bushes, Christmas yes, yes. trees. And he bemoaned later that he had married the Ayatollah of Judaism. <laughs> That there, that there can be a fierceness in the cover and suddenly they were having to keep kosher and, yeah. and you know now his parents no joke, is, you know, yeah, they, no joke is that this this jewish boy marries a, a girl who converts and then his mother is trying to reach him on shabbat and he won't pick up okay. but then she calls again on sunday and she says what are you doing he says, uh, Ma, you know, ever since the conversion, we observe Shabbat now. She goes, I told you not to marry. You should have married someone Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that, that like if our children were ever really to rebel, you talk about, oh, what if they marry a Naju? No, they become ultra Orthodox. Oh, so Mom, I can't eat in your house anymore. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other Really, it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> But right. uh, Danielle, I just want to thank you so much. Oh, this hour has clicked. I'm so honored to no, be really. a convert uh, spokesperson. No, um, I think that the insight that people have, um, some of the mistakes that people make about being a Jew by choice and conversion, what a Jew is and what Jewish is, right? Those, are, those can be different things at times. Mm -hmm. um, that Jews see themselves not just as faith, but more importantly, that there's a peoplehood about the Jewish people that you've so beautifully spoken uh, about and to. And that uh, ultimately the idea of conversion, of, of uh, becoming a Jew is one of the most authentic things that Judaism stands for, because famously um, in Jewish tradition, we're told that there were no Jews before Mount Sinai. The people who lived in Egypt who were slaves, they were Hebrews, they were Israelites, but they weren't Jews. Jews, so on some level, were all converts. And that's what the ancient rabbis wanted the Jewish people to know. The sense of not just dedication, but rededicating ourselves to something afresh. And your voice, along with many other Jews by choice, do that to me daily, reminding me about what's important about us. So, uh, well, thank you. It's such an honor and, and truly a pleasure. And I, I do appreciate your thoughts because, as you know, as an, uh, a convert, you often feel like an imposter. So you don't you don't want to you don't want to be telling anybody, you know, about the religion. A moment, and I, I know I was meant to close up, but I can't stop talking. Um, was there a moment where you 
felt and you said to yourself, yeah, I'm really Jewish now? Um, there wasn't like that moment I ate smoked fish and went, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had herring and you said, oh, this actually tastes good. <laughs> yeah, no, never, never been a fan of herring. Me too. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think it's been through, uh, maybe it has been more in the landmark celebrations where you're in the synagogue and you're watching your child be bar bat mitzvahed. And you feel, it's more a feeling of being part of the community. It's not, and this is the great thing about becoming a Jew is it stops being about about you. It becomes about a greater self, a greater community your connection to that community and to your family. And that to me is what being a Jew is about. And in, in a way, to me, it's very liberating not to have to be always thinking about my personal relationship to God. I mean, obviously that goes through your head, but but that that in a way very very selfish and singular viewpoint I had before becoming a Jew and then being embraced and becoming a part of a community bigger than myself. And yeah. to me, that is what it means to be Jewish. Ah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure and pleasure meeting you all. No, thank, thank you. you. Everyone have a wonderful thank evening. And I want to thank uh, Danielle Kretendem Frum for the hour of her time. Uh, she's uh, really given us much to think about on this as we're approaching the final night of Hanukkah. So Danielle, I hope- Happy can... Hanukkah. Yes. <laughs> I hope, uh, hope we're able to meet in person without masks soon. Yes. yes and uh, you are. give my love to David and your family. I will. What a wonderful, fabulous woman. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> everyone, thank you so much and have thank a great you. evening. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye bye, everyone. Bye bye. Bye. A wonderful evening.